Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate this space together. Today, we're joined by one of the premier traders of Japanese candlestick patterns, as well as a self-proclaimed newbie guide, Big Cheds. Cheds got started trading penny stocks in 2014 and found success transitioning those skills to crypto altcoins in 2017. Cheds was diagnosed with cancer later that year, and to his great credit, used his time in treatment and recovery to complete a beginner's trading guide and continue to hone his skills as a trader. In addition to all this, Cheds is publishing his memoir in about a month. On top of it all, Cheds is a founding analyst at Bitcoin Live and an all-around high achiever and great guy. We discuss adversity, luck, overlapping experiences trading penny stocks and crypto, and much more. You will not want to miss today's Japanese Candlestick Masterclass in this episode of The Nest Show. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the ride. What The Nest Show is, this is a podcast brought to you by the Bird Nest community, an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the markets while protecting capital along the way. What this is not, trading advice. We are not financial advisors, and you should not regard any information here or in The Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining today's episode of The Nest Show. And guys, we are so excited. Today we have Cheds. Cheds is a Japanese candlestick trader on Twitter, newbie helper. He's traded penny stocks since early 2014 and got into crypto in early 2017. He's got a lot of engagement on Twitter. And I am so excited because Cheds is also a cancer survivor. And we have so much to speak on today. Cheds, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I want to say thank you. Uh, it's absolutely an honor to be part of your program. I enjoy the work you do. And I think um, platforms like this, it's a great opportunity to stretch out some topics, to really let those ideas bounce around in kind of a candid format. And I'm just, I'm really glad to be part of it. Absolutely, man. And, and we are so happy to have you. And I appreciate that compliment. And of course, we have Adrian, Crypto Burb himself. Adrian, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I hope you guys are doing great too. I'm extremely excited for, for Chet's attending us today for, for the podcast. Uh, like I personally have been, you know, a huge supporter and, and a fan for a long time for Chet's. And yeah, it's, it's super exciting to have you here. Chet's, I learned pre-show that you were a cancer survivor. And, you know, obviously in today's marketplace, People are going through unprecedented times and have very high levels of stress and worry and and just kind of, um, you know, fight or flight instincts kicking in. And I, I wanted to speak with you a little bit about, one, your journey as a cancer survivor and also your your journey through the marketplace and, and how you came to join us here today. Well, I came to join us here today because a uh, real swell guy named Burb asked me. And so that's the answer to that part. Just kind of the short version is back in 2017, uh, I was diagnosed with lymphoma, uh, stage three, both sides of the diaphragm. Um, and, but I was really lucky, great medical care. I started chemotherapy right after that. Crypto kind of came into my life earlier that year. And because of crypto, I really, I dove right into it and spent a lot of my time and energy focusing on crypto rather than chemotherapy, rather than kind of the struggles I was going through. It gave me a nice... Uh, an, an oasis, kind of away from my own troubles. Along the way, uh, I met a lot of people, continued to sharpen my skills, 
Um, and I decided I was going to write a book. Two years later, I'm getting ready to, to publish my memoir uh, on fighting cancer. Um, unfortunately, my mother actually was diagnosed with cancer as well after I beat my cancer. And um, she passed away uh, last year. So I've, I've been learning to grieve. Uh, and I talk about that in the book. So that journey's made me a stronger person. And like I said, thank you for asking about that. Uh, in terms of crypto, crypto just been uh, a wonderful thing for me. Uh, it, has, it bears a lot of similarities to that penny stock market, especially the altcoins where you have extreme volatility uh, on low volume. And that's something I hope we'll talk more about later uh, is how important volume is in, ter in terms of um, interpreting you know, candle signals, especially uh, you, you know, talking about Japanese candlestick trading, which is on my go-to uh, for analysis. Right on, man. That's that's fabulous. And, and pre-show, we were speaking a little bit about luck. And I was heartened to hear you say that you consider yourself luckier than most, you know, in spite of, you know, some of the uh, challenges that you just mentioned. Uh, just, just as a point of curiosity and kind of a philosophical digression, how would you characterize or define luck? And would you, would you say that there is a seed uh, for luck to sprout? I mean, you could go any way. You could really go any way with that question. Obviously, there's, there's the cliche, chance means opportunity. Uh, being luck, you always want to be prepared. Uh, kind of, and I'll, I'll, get it, I'll kind of jump back to that. But for myself personally, I was just born at a time, uh, and I had a good family. They took care of me. Uh, I grew up, I mean, I grew up as a white male, in, in the Northeast, great education. I mean, I feel lucky. That's lucky. You could, could have been born anywhere under any condition. Um, and even with that tragedy, I've just been like mistakes I've made in my life that I've been given second chances. For. A story I talked about in the book is when I was uh, in, in the hospital at one point, I shared a room with a guy. He was about my age and clearly uh, had, was like a heroin addict and he spent half his life in jail. And it's like, I was like, I've never been arrested. And it's like, did he get his, the second chances that I got? Uh, all the times I was driving drunk when I was younger and I never got pulled over. Any one of those times, my life would have been differently. You know, just something like that, for example. You know, all, all the trees I fell off of and I didn't break my neck, you know, when I was climbing as a kid. You know, kind of that's, that's what I say in terms of luck. Can you control luck? I play, I play a lot of poker and you think about luck, but luck is kind of putting yourself in a position where hopefully you don't have to fade too much bad luck. You just got to try to put yourself in a good position. And uh, that's what I would say. And that's fascinating to hear. And, and Adrian, I'd, I'd love to extend the same question to you. How would you define luck or, or what's your kind of personal orientation to the uh, idea of luck? It's a very hard question to answer, actually. I'm pretty impressed with what Jets just said on that. And there is a lot of in common with regard to what I perceive luck to be, you know. And uh, for me, luck is a kind of like a combination, connection, uh, or rather I, would, I should say co combination of your own kind of like predispositions with opportunities given to you by, by life from like exteriorly. So luck is nothing when you don't really help it, you know, when you are given chances and when you try to mm, actually respond to these chances, like these opportunities, mm, when, you, when you, you know, do your best with regard to what you are skilled for, what you can do, uh, what you want to learn, what you want to achieve with that, if you help these opportunities, right? These opportunities given to you by, by life around. As an effect, there is a success being born in a way. I think the luck, if I were to put some tighter definition on that, that would be the combination of own predispositions, the, you know, exterior kind of like, uh, exterior uh, situation, opportunities, I should say, as well as, well, goodwill, as a result of, you know, on the, on the right hand of this equation, in a way, 
when we sum it up, is what I what I would call uh, to be at the luck. It's a fascinating notion, especially when posed to traders. You know what what luck is, because you know we've all had our fair share of ups and downs. But when you look at luck just on its face, it's a it's a subjective experience or or kind of a subjective characteristic. And just just put in terms, uh, put in simple terms. You know, I think that luck starts with uh, with gratitude or appreciation. You know, because there there are folks who have all of the gifts or opportunities in the world, but if they have no appreciation for them, you will not be able to convince them that they're lucky. You know, they all they will see is all they don't have. But the same thing goes for for someone, you know, that you pass down the street who maybe uh, hasn't had the opportunities or the financial success, yada yada. You know, but who um, has a uh, a deeper level of appreciation for, you know, the food uh, on their plate or the clothes on their back, roof over their head, etc., and could you know consider themselves the most uh, the luckiest person in the world. You know, so I think that, um, you know, as as traders and just as human beings, we do ourselves a lot of credit, you know, just to enhance gratitude and enhance appreciation for the stuff that we do have. Um, and I think that that uh, goes directly to uh, the level of, of personal success and your trajectory over the course of your life with whatever you do. I have uh, a lot of experience, you know, especially as of late with, you know, kind of, kind of gearing my call it internal vibration, you know, like I, I want to vibrate at a higher level, you know, which sounds really metaphysical and ethereal, but after putting that into my trading practice specifically, uh, and, and really keying into focusing on what I want to cultivate and, Reducing the things that I want less of, you know, uh, I've seen a, a great impact and I feel like that goes deeply into the work that we do both on ourselves as people and uh, as traders. Uh, when I heard you, uh, Chad, speaking about uh, luck uh, a little bit in, in pre-show, I was just uh, so excited to to hear about that because, you know, we, especially in times like these, we could all benefit from greater levels of appreciation you know, for the things that we do have uh, as we seek to, you know, kind of uh, stabilize the ship in these uncertain times. You know, just getting right into it, you, uh, I was so excited to see as well that you came to crypto from penny stocks. And I, I just wanted to uh, extrapolate that experience a little bit and talk about where the paths have converged, where they've uh, diverged. And, um, you know, maybe we'll get into <laughs> A little uh, a divergence talk with, with you and Adrian on that. So I started trading pennies back uh, when weed became, marijuana became legal, uh, and there was a big boom in the penny stock market. And in that market, you could see uh, the, the gains are ridiculous. I mean, you could see a 300% gain in a day. And a lot of that had to do with that volatility had to do with the fact that there wasn't a lot of volume. Uh, these things were either thinly traded, uh, and so they, could, they could, were kind of explosive. And w in that sense, there's a lot of parallels to the altcoin market. So what I did kind of, and just to kind of circle in what we talked about before, a lot of the work I did in that penny stock market became kind of a, a te teaching method. And I started uh, becoming essentially a newbie helper. And I started a blog, chedstrading.blogspot.com. And so a lot of that stuff that I learned from the penny stock market can be applied to crypto. A lot of it's trading psychology. 
A lot of it is understanding. The, uh, it's like poker, understanding your opponent, understanding the rest of the field, reading the sentiment you know, of the other traders. So there's kind of that, the volume analysis, and then there's the kind of social analysis that, that, that overlaps, uh, in my opinion, uh, from that penny stock to the crypto market. So it was a really easy transition for me. All the charting stuff I did with pennies worked in crypto, and it worked better because there's more volume, there's more consistent volume. So you get a lot of fake signals in the penny stock market because there's not a lot of volume behind the candles, uh, you know, but but with the crypto, in in certain cases, in in many cases, you'd have enough volume to draw some type of a solid signal, and that's and that's where Japanese candlestick trading really comes into play. And when it drives me crazy when I see people posting charts on Twitter, hey, look at this bullish engulfing, and then I, I can't see the volume behind it because there's no value in that signal. The strength of any Japanese candlestick signal is based on the volume behind it. That's why volume is so important. That's why I, I always emphasize it. Uh, in my analysis and when I, when I, when I'm teaching other people, but I also, I recognize that I have, it's only my approach. I don't, I'm not an expert in any field. I can only explain what I think I know and then kind of sit back and listen and try to absorb what other people are saying. And then I can reach a greater wisdom, uh, myself. Um, so that hopefully answers your question essentially of how I started with pennies and how it kind of migrated into crypto and what I see as some of the overlaps. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to follow up quickly on the, um, what platforms or exchanges that you are trading penny stocks on and whether or not you see a, a, a greater similarity with any given uh, crypto exchange or, or if it's just kind of across the, across the board with small caps. So these were like micro, micro caps for, for the penny stock market. And you really only traded them using, I used Fidelity, I used E-Trade uh, as a broker and they kind of handled everything. And then, uh, some of them that, especially that didn't have strong reporting, didn't file their quarterly reports, yearly, yearly reports, you can only do in one exchange or the other. So there was kind of varying degrees of like how hard it was to actually trade it based on how shady it really was. Um, and then there was a program called iHub investors hub, which I just had on my tablet and you just read the message boards and the psychology of it is amazing, right? It's, it's very similar and you see a lot of it with crypto. So like the, the ugly secret behind it is the whole purpose of the penny stock market is, is for people to sell debt, convertible debt, and then that convertible debt to be dumped on the retail market. So you have a penny stock company that comes out and they say, we invented like weed ice cream or something. So everyone gets excited and retail uh, people, they pile in to buy it. What they don't know is a year ago, someone lent them $5,000 and that $5,000 now converts at you know 50% or 70% discount to market. They convert it, then they sell it into the float, float gets bigger, blah, 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 blah. So that's going on. Um, and while that's going on in the message boards and the price is going down, people say, oh, look, they're, they're, they're lowering the price. Something big must be coming. Oh, they're just trying to get cheapies. You know, they're always kind of like trying to convince you of a narrative. It's all about narrative building. Uh, and you see that on Twitter, you know, what was it like, like XVG Verge had that uh, New Year's Eve thing. And it was all, you know, it's all this. So it's all the narrative. And what does that lead to? It leads to these uh, trading psychology, at least these uh, concepts of are you buying the rumor or are you buying the news? You know, buy the rumor, sell the news. So you, so you have the psychology that leads to kind of these common sense things, sell the hype, you know, buy the blood, stuff like that. So you try to, that's kind of forms the basis. A lot of the things that I learned, I helped to pass on and that I found worked uh, re really well in crypto. Adrian, do you have any experience in penny stocks or would your experience in this capacity mainly be in, in small cap alts? Like in practice, when it comes to penny stocks, like the, ex the experience that I've got comes from watching <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> in practice. But uh, yeah, if, if, if you remember, like I believe it was from by, by Martin Scorsese and, 
and DiCaprio, right? And uh, yeah, so yeah, I can't believe they they made a movie about those memes. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Jordan Jordan Belfort and all these types like Stratton Oakmont with how they kind of like pumped and dumped, you know, all the penny stocks. So um, the other day, so um, yeah, but in general, in general, I personally prefer emerging markets that are given by. Uh, by the industry itself, right? Personally, I'm kind of like young. I'm 27 years old. That's that's not much of a, I would say, like I'm not a really old man. Although my my backbone is cracking, cracking me left and right <laughs> at times. <laughs> but yet, still, cryptocurrency, like that, would be my main, uh, my main leading field. Although I, I definitely right now, mm, I'm preparing very solidly, and I mean like solid, solid stuff. Uh, working my uh, my way into bigger money markets with regard to uh, to precious metals. I'm searching for really big position in, in silver right now. On top of that, I'm definitely going to get or actually get into emerging markets. Okay, uh, and you know also in Poland, listed on Polish exchange, uh, but it's not the most popular one all over the world. But Poland, as a, as a market, is considered to be emerging market. And during the recession times, uh, you know, first, firstly, the first impulse is uh, like people exiting or actually, shall I say, well, like withdrawing the capital from high risk uh, markets that are stocks in general. Uh, not to mention, you know, that that it was pretty much like easily to be foreseen for just by based on what Tesla did, you know, going crazy, the double X, like tri- triple X or whatever own own performance over one two months uh, you know january february when when it kind of like rocket launched you know towards thousand bucks per share it was crazy to watch you know when when such situations come when the market bubbles like comes to burst uh the capital always outflows from uh like to the well let's quote unquote it safe haven currency that is uh usd that is dollar it's uh it's kind of like a regular scheme regular i would say concept and sketch that first of all like people tend to withdraw their money to to dollar but then you know when the recession comes well the fed comes to you know put some quantitative easing or just simply pump in the market that would just you know boost and actually improve um, like improve uh grow the inflation so at the same time people after uh well not only investors but like just regular people i would say uh, they start noticing that, you know, with the same money that they pretty much have saved or had saved before, you know, they tend to pay, pay much more for the products that they, well, compared to what they used to pay. So in general, they wake up to lower money value. And uh, when they realize that it takes a couple of months more, most often to happen, they withdraw and actually just move their capital uh, from from the safe haven currency, again, quote unquote, um, to actually precious metals and uh, and every second kind of like cycle, uh, capital flows heavily into emerging markets. So I expect emerging markets in the next couple of, I uh, would say, years in general uh, to perform really, really well. I'm not talking about, you know, just regular fang like Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Google, right, Netflix and, and, and etc., uh, like just as, as similar to these uh, top capitalization, you know, tech companies. Anyway, the emerging markets is what I'm definitely getting 
good and deep dive in the next months. Uh, as well as, as I said, silver, precious metals, right? So these these two groups are not only, I think, for me to, to, to watch, but also are on the eyes and on the monitors of many, many investors right now that are actually just wanting and preparing themselves to make a real big deal of money when everybody around is kind of like losing with this recession. In general, you know, this interest is definitely spreading of mine. I mean, this interest of mine is definitely spreading across not only crypto itself, but it's just going way beyond right now. Uh, also with real estates, but just not, it's not the best time for, for sure to, you know, just go heavily into real estates. But all these markets, they at the same time differ a lot from crypto and they do have a lot of in common. And when you compare penny stocks to crypto, well, they're they're kind of like, I would, I would not say the same, but they're very similar. I think you agree, Chad, right? Absolutely. I, I think that you bring up some great points there. And I, to, to be frank, I have a lot of concern for emerging markets right now, you know, and, and maybe, maybe those that aren't yet emergent, you know, but that are in their, in their infancy. I've, I feel like, you know, many markets across Africa uh, are, are going to be in for a world of hurt. Like the, the people who are already in the most precarious position are, are going to be, you know, leveraged the most. Uh, and, and I just have a lot of concern for that. Yeah, I mean, just 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 to kind of like make it make it perhaps clear on my part. I'm not talking about this is a good idea to invest in it right now, right? I actually stand quite opposite. Like you're not pretty much like set to like getting an exposure uh, with uh, high risk positions that are you know considered uh, to be like stocks in general, at least until you know the latest phases of recession come pretty much. Right, so uh, that's definitely not the best time to buy any res as of yet. Right now, I still think there's like with 26 million. I will. Um, that's what I believe it to be. Uh, like that's what I believe to her to hear recently on of the the job jobless claims and all that. That's definitely going to influence you know negatively like GDP. Uh, so it's like the economic is a recession. It's just well well to unfold your wings. And it's not nowhere nowhere near done, I think. So buying it in stocks right now, and especially industrial ones, well, I think is a huge weird stuff to do. <laughs> I was just saying that as an aside that I think we all share a lot of concern for uh, the months and years to come. But uh, but Cheds, I wanted to come back to you with some of your you know some of your alt plays and 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 whether or not any of your other fellow traders from. The penny stocks uh, followed you into uh, the uh, altcoin market, um, you know, during that kind of bonanza. And I, it, you can feel free to to do any. I see you moving your cursor on the screen, but yeah, feel free to do any kind of screen share, any any references. But I'd I'd love to see some of your, you know, some of your Japanese candlestick trading techniques or kind of how you um, uh, identify setups in the market. Yeah, we can definitely take a look at that. I definitely want to give a shout out to my good friend. You may have heard, may have heard of him, uh, Big Chonis. Uh, he's at Big Chonis on Twitter. Um, definitely one of my sure, best friends. you do know him. You do know him. Good. We hang out all the time. He's actually at my house right now. Uh, there you on, go. Say hi to him. Some, <laughs> I will. I will. He's not, can't hear you, but I'll uh, just want to give him a shout out. And he followed me from the penny stock market. Um, so he's seen a lot of what I've seen and we, we, we kind of talk it out a lot and that's a lot of how my thought process has developed. Um, you know, so, so credit to him for that. Um, so 
uh, uh, I guess yeah. Like some of these top, all some of the top coins. We'll see if any of them pop up. I just have the daily chart here. Let's just kind of scroll down. Uh, let's get starting with let's say Ada. I was watching Ada. Ada is interesting. Um, everyone has different moving averages, and uh, let's just kind of zoom in on the candles. And I like to use you know two hundred is pretty common. The blue line here. When I use a moving average, uh, what you want to do, in my opinion, is you want to see how the price has responded to it in the past. You don't, you don't want to just pick like a random moving average and, and just kind of for the sake of it to make, to, to make a point. You can see here, uh, after the price fell through here in the 200 MA, it was rejected on the back test a couple times, came, came back, floated through, consolidated for a few days. And this is a good example to talk about what you want to look for with these moving average breakouts where you see uh, kind of on this acceleration here, you have a couple things, you have, but most importantly, you have the volume, volume uh, ticking up kind of over the average and you have the 834 EMA bull cross. So a lot of people use the 12 and the 26. I use the 8 and the 34. Uh, this is a good, good point to talk about why. Why do I use the 8 EMA? This is a green line. I call it, prime, you know, for me, primary uptrend support. And you find a lot of the time uh, on a breakout, you can see here after the, the consolidation, it kind of broke out of this level. And it's kind of rising right with that 8 EMA. So uh, how does that help you? Uh, when you put in this doji on February 12th, uh, it, it gave you a sense we're going to pull back to the 8 EMA. You had a little bit of bouncing, pull back to the 8 EMA. All these upper shadows, uh, bears rejecting higher prices, the price above the upper Bollinger Band, you're pulling back to your moving average support. Um, and so you use the 8. I like to use the 8 for that uptrend support. You watch for crosses. Uh, so here we have the 834 cross. And one thing you want to keep in mind with uh, a moving average cross is you want to keep in mind the proximity to the price. Uh, this is important when you when you hear a lot of people talking about golden cross, death cross, right? You want to have the price right at at where the the moving average cross is happening because uh, the move hasn't been baked in yet, right? When you have the price moving here, okay, it's pretty close, but you had some of the move already baked in yet. You already had some of the move baked in. So when you're when you're move, using a moving average cross, you want to make sure the price is close to it. We had a nice uh, proximity here. Uh, the Bollinger, you have the Bollinger squeeze, uh, Bollinger pinch, price acceleration, ADMA support. And then when the move kind of is uh, running out, a little bit of exhaustion, right? Uh, you're doing a couple things. You're looking at horizontal support. You're looking at your prior breakout levels. You want to see it hold here on this chart. You got, you got a bearish confluence. You had a couple signals here on ADA, for example, where you saw kind of the loss of this prior support, this prior demand level, and you had the 834 bear cross. So there's your bear cross. Uh, nice follow through on that. We've already seen, uh, and we saw, saw what happened with the price after that, right? That's just using candles. Uh, I'll go more into candles in a second. Um, but you know, I haven't looked at oscillators. I haven't looked for divergence. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but this is in, you know, when I look at this chart, I look at a lot of things. So I look at the 200 MA. I'm looking at the moving average cross. I'm looking at the price, and I'm seeing here. Uh, I'm seeing these upper shadows. So there's a little bit of exhaustion happening. Uh, you could probably go on shorter time frames. We're about halfway, a little more than halfway through the day. I could go in a shorter time frame. I'll probably find uh, like a shooting star candle in there in a short time. Let's take a look. All right, there you go. So you're seeing a little bit of bearish acceleration. Uh, you see kind of, now here's the 8 EMA. You're starting to lose the 8 EMA. So this is kind of breaking down in a short-term time frame, right? Here in the one-hour chart, I was kind of sniffing it out in the daily with this upper shadow. Uh, so you kind of, you know, uh, day hasn't, day hasn't kind of, uh, ended yet, but with this type of move, uh, you're going to expect it to pull back and consolidate. And then where's it going to consolidate to eight EMA. So that's kind of an example of how I approach a lot of these, uh, charts. I'll look for divergence. If I'm looking for, um, 
uh, if I'm looking for a bottoming chart, so here we also clearly have the, the, the downtrend break, right? And you kind of have the downturn break, a little bit of a back test. When this is happening, you're looking for a divergence. And a lot of people use RSI for a regular divergence. And regular divergence is, uh, but regular divergence is, is a reversal divergence, right? And hidden divergence is continuation divergence. So when this is happening, a lot of people are using the RSI. And I wrote an article about, uh, in my opinion, again, how to use divergences. It's, uh, it was on like Ask Traders. Um, if you want the link, I'll be I can get it to you or whatnot. Uh, but... Uh, I use OBV for, and I'll wrap this up here and give you a chance to kind of jump in, Burb. Uh, I use the OBV for regular divergence because I want to see um, people loading without the price reversing, right? I want to see, um, you know, I want to see uh, people, like I said, I want to see people buying and without the benefit of a price gain uh, rather than the RSI. Because if the RSI, if you get divergence on the RSI and you've already started to move, let's say you're at 50 or 60 RSI before you even start to bounce, uh, that's going to limit how high you can bounce. So I kind of I talked about that, and that's a little, little bit how I use um, oscillators. I don't use MACD. I, uh, there's a million out there. Williams. I use OBV and RSI, uh, and that kind of gives a little bit of a sense of how I might approach uh, an altcoin chart like this. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. And you did a you did a wonderful job, like getting right in there. And it's it's just great that the the simplicity of Japanese candlesticks and those various uh, moving averages. You know, uh, and then add to, of course, the uh, uh, the volume, OBV, et cetera. But uh, yeah, it just goes to show like if you have the same book and two different people reading it, uh, one reader you know, may think it was a boring read, didn't have any pictures, et cetera. Another reader you know, may have seen the secrets of the universe inside of it. You know, um, it just goes to show it's, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Um, but Adrian, I'd love to get your response to this. Uh, I know that you have a specialty and a variety of charting styles, um, you know, namely uh, Ichimoku, price action, et cetera. What do you take from from Ched's outline here? Yeah, so I got to tell you, I'm, I'm very impressed and, and very, well, happy that uh, Ched's kind of like, you know, shared, shared with us his, uh, his approach on that. I am a big fan of Japanese candlesticks as they are myself. Uh, I'm a big fan, uh, big fan of, of obviously Steve Neeson, right? That kind of like introduced and expanded very well on on the overall idea of Japanese candlesticks, right? It's an old charting technique. It's a very old char charting technique, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was Murahisa Homa, right? Japanese rice trader. Like they ran out of rice, so they had to start trading in the futures. Oh yeah, it's, just, I it's that. crazy stuff. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That's 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 really you know interesting, but. Uh, that's well. That's how great developments and that, that how great ideas come that last you know for for the next decades. And that's what you know. Wait, hundreds of years. With, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Yeah, uh, with, with Japanese candlesticks. So I'm I'm very you know happy that you're bringing in and kind of like sharing the same importance of of, of this part. I am also um, a big fan of, of consistency with, with regard to you know just putting labels on the candles. And what I mean, and I'm actually just referring to chats uh, talking about the engulfing, for example, right? So in general, by engulfing, okay, when you put a, yeah, for example, bullish engulfing or bearish engulfing, whatever, Steve Neeson, which, uh, whose version I prefer to, to share and to, to teach, um, would say that engulfing as it is, like to be legit, to be credible and reliable, should happen only after, um, after trends. Right, so for a bullish engulfing, for example, to happen, uh, there would need to be a prior up, uh, downtrend for that. 
right? And there will need to be like a small spinning top candle followed by a big, you know, green or white, depending on the version, uh, you know, just thrust, right? That would just cover and engulf and kind of like wrap around the entire previous candle body and what not only. And the, the more it engulfs, the more it covers, the, the stronger the engulfing signal is. But the engulfing itself, uh, especially when we are referring to that as a bullish engulfing in the in pattern or should I say formation, candle formation, uh, then to me, I will not say it's worthless if it's happening just somewhere in the middle of a trend, but um, but it's definitely not as credible as it would be, right? If it, if it happened just somewhere around the bottom uh, of the market reversal. You're making an excellent point. And, uh, you know, uh, John Bollinger, who, who created the Bollinger Bands, he actually makes the point that uh, the context of any candle signal is important. Uh, so, for example, like a, like a shooting star, you know, like a spinning top reversal candle at the upper Bollinger Band is a better signal than at the middle Bollinger Band. Uh, just like the point you're making, like a nice bullish engulfing is great at the bottom of a trend. But if it's happening kind of like uh, in the middle of like a bear flag or something, you know, in, in the middle of like an obvious bearish continuation... You know, so that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's very true. You know, that's that's what we call, I think, uh, the market context in general, right? And then cap Japanese candlesticks, uh, especially when we're talking about the formations, right? Uh, be it for example, like a harami or harami cross, or yep. not only engulfing but just the hammer itself. Uh, I would not really call or dare to call a hammer type of candle when it happens and occurs just somewhere in the middle of a trend for the same reason, right? You need to, for, for the hammer, uh, which is kind of like by default, a bullish uh, candle itself, it needs to find itself in a bullish context. Otherwise, it's not going to work just as it works for uh, for the bottom reversals. And such yes context, and no. Right? Ye yes and no. And that's interesting because you mentioned uh, Steve Nissen, you know, Bolkowski who did the encyclopedia and he ran the numbers on it. And if you take your, if I, if I take your point and I extend it and I take that hammer and I make it a hanging man right at the top of a trend, it actually still leads to bullish continuation 57% of the time. So it's not as good as a reversal candle, but if we, if we boil it down and simplify it, it shows bulls rejecting lower prices, right? That's what that lower shadow shows. And in and of itself, that is bullish. So it's just, it, it, it's slightly there's a slight signal. So it's the context. What's the strength of the signal? It's not a worthless signal as you make a point, but there's still some value in that. So even though that hammer, right, becomes a hanging man, it's actually still bullish. It's, it's true for, to, to what you're saying. Uh, what, I, what I said definitely is that, uh, what I didn't say is that, you know, it's definitely uh, not having any value whatsoever because it's, it's all about the statistics, right? And we, whenever we are talking about uh, candlesticks or in general, you know, technical analysis, we need to be 100% aware that we are always talking about the probabilities and likelihood and actual statistics, right? So uh, I definitely, you know, cover and not, and, and get this is uh, like this take from, from Bolkowski, like from, from Bolkowski, I think both for, uh, for encyclopedia, for uh, for for the patterns for chart patterns just as as much as for the for the candlestick patterns. Oh, for the the west the the classical one. I bought I, I bought that, but I haven't read it. I have that book, so, uh, but I haven't read it. Uh, after my my cancer memoir, I'm writing a book on trading, and it's going to be candlestick psychology, but also blending east and west classical charting. Because like the bullish engulfing, right? You still have the outside, like in Western TA classical TA. It's not just a candle body, but you want the whole range, right? The the, the shadows for the outside. So it's like. What's the difference, you know, comparing a bullish engulfing to an outside candle? You know, I feel like that's kind of fun to kind of explore that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, I'm quite sure you're going to do a great job on that, bro. But I need to learn first. That's the key. Is like I need to learn. I've identified my weakness, which is which is classical charting, and that's what I'm going to start reading about and studying. That's what you would call the luck, but that's uh, at the same time what I keep calling and referring to as a hard work. Ah, I don't know anything about hard work. I play way more video games than my wife wants me to. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I hope I hope she she's not hearing that. <laughs> she's a very she's a very understanding woman. When you can make the work fun, then you're really gaming the system. That's it, brother. Um, Chad's before before my last question, I wanted to ask you a quick aside for the Japanese candlestick, uh, you know, charting analysis that you do. Um, how would you say for for your own personal style? That um, compares uh, against a very you know popular Heikenashi candlestick analysis. So Heikenashi is really just trend. So that's kind of a broader. It's kind of a broader. It's 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 valuable, and you want to use it kind of uh, uh, to compare to your to your candlestick analysis. You want to use the bar candles. You want to do different things, um, but you probably want to have your own preferred one that you kind of uh, focus on the most. Heikenashi is good uh, for. You can use some candlestick analysis, like for like a doji. It's still going to represent kind of a, an indecision, maybe even even more so a reversal with a haikanashi versus versus uh, Japanese candles, like like a doji or, or even like a spinning top. It's not a green light going red, but it's a green light going yellow. It's it's that kind of pause signal, and but it's more of a of a switch around in, in haikanashi versus Japanese candlesticks, uh, for example. So you want to use it, but you want to kind of apply slightly different uh, techniques to the two. Um, before I let you go, Chad's, I wanted to ask, you know, for instance, with that ADA chart, you know, is on the daily and then, you know, looking uh, down into the lower timeframes, you know, specifically for, you know, violent moves in, and say the penny stocks or some of the, uh, low cap alts, do you typically trade on a higher time timeframe, like a, a daily or, you know, a four hour, et cetera, or, or will you get down into the nitty gritty? Because I mean, so many of our listeners right now during uh, the social distancing, you know, where they have work from home mandates, et cetera, have a lot more time to sit by the computer with the charts open, et cetera. And there is a big inclination to get back into, you know, a 15, five minute, one minute uh, timeframes. Uh, what's, what's your kind of uh, overall philosophy regarding that? You know, does it stay the same or do you adopt a different mentality on lower time frames? I have a lot of thoughts on that. And I had like 20 things I wanted to say while you were talking. For me, I feel like a 5, 10, 15 minute chart is like driving without a seatbelt. Um, generally speaking, if I'm trading, it's more so. That being said, if I'm trading, like, like if I'm leverage trading, I'm doing like a quick flip, maybe, maybe 30 minute, one hour. Uh, but for my kind of understanding, I'm always starting at the daily. I'll work out to the weekly. I'll look at the three day and the weekly. Um, and I've been doing like my altcoin trades and when I do them on Bitcoin live, uh, which, uh, which I'm a founding analyst of, it's an uh, excellent educational platform. Uh, when I'm doing my alerts, I like to use a 12 hour chart, uh, for trading there. I have a tweet I put out a couple years ago and if you just, it's like the keyword in there is scientist and, and you, I believe you should think about it almost like a scientist, uh, with, um, kind of looking at varying levels of, uh, of, uh, magnification. 
and kind of looking at like a tissue sample and you kind of move in between those varying levels of magnification. So you can start with a daily chart, but maybe you go to like a four hour chart. You want to see kind of what the four hours doing because uh, you can, it, there's all these different conditions because sometimes the price is giving you clear signals on a four hour. Sometimes it's the one hour. Um, uh, is, is there some type of event that just happened and it's bouncing? So, you, you know, like if you're in the middle of a bull flag and you, and you want to kind of try to buy on the bottom of the flag and sell at the top, you know, you're going to go to a 15 minute or, or one hour, you know, a lower time frame. That being said, as a general rule, and I should have started out by saying this, is the longer the time frame, the stronger the signal. That's why weekly chart is a, is a great place to understand where you're at in the weekly chart. People have been bearish on Bitcoin. Uh, sometimes I get I get flack for being too bullish, and I, I don't think I'm bullish. I, I believe I'm just kind of interpreting the signals. And the weekly chart's been bullish. Um, and so people are, you know, ah, oh, how dare you be bullish? Whatever. It's the, you got to start with a larger time frame and work your way down, uh, knowing that the lower time frame you go, the easier it is for you to get faked out because... Uh, there's all these funds that uh, money that kind of has an idea of what you're trying to do. They know you're trying to buy at support, so they're going to break support and they're going to shake you out. You know, and those things will happen in lower time frames. You just got to be careful. Mm -hmm. And Adrian, I, I'd love for you to follow up on that if, if you have any uh, commentary on that uh, lower time frame. Yeah, I mean, other you know, other than 100% kind of like agreeing on that part uh, is well. Um, First of all, it's the lower time frames are definitely much more over leveraged uh, in general, right? They 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 kind of like refer to overall big leverage coming from scalpers. They need to use big leverage to kind of like make money on small moves, right? Unless you're a whale, then your your kind of your own portfolio works as a leverage in a way. But um, but in general, you know what I what I love also uh, about you know the the CMT course, the chart and market technician course that I. Uh, started like kind of like in recent uh, in December. Jesus, it's half half year long. It's it's insane how time flies. I swear to God. Uh, but what I love about it is that it really opened my eyes with regard to how much and to what extent technical analysis is of much self fulfilling prophecy. You know, and it's about yeah, and it's about kind of like realizing like one of the greatest misconceptions uh, about technical analysis is that you know there are some crazy fucking crazy magical miracle lines that are just simply working as magnets but the main problem is or actually the, the entire you know world opens up to you the world of understanding opens up to you when you actually realize that these lines are not lines they represent some sentiment of uh, of investors right you kind of like try to gauge on what they would do what the majority would do knowing uh, some some specific actually code of language code of trading which is the technical analysis and uh and for this way you know technical analysis just like uh well namely patterns chart patterns like why do chart patterns exist at all right it's pretty much like because we as traders do create them like people like from the nature and like our brains human brains tend to pretty much like you know um produce uh, dopamine Right when whenever whenever this this hormone of, of happiness I believe that's what we call it uh, whenever we recognize whenever our brain recognizes some pattern pattern namely such some situation that you can refer to from your experience in past or how the, how you call that uh, like superstitions like a black cat you know crossing the the road people tend to believe in superstitions in such contexts or in like they tend to see some repetitive patterns and and kind of like create it even just by, by the same uh, way. 
of self-fulfilling prophecy because our brains are rewarded with dopamine in a way. For this reason, like we make the patterns exist. And uh, so it's not a question of do they exist? Because we already know they exist. We already know that, you know, especially on regular traditional markets, just like, I don't know, stocks, commodities. You can open up a chart and you can spot, identify like tens of patterns, like just on, on a daily time frame, for example, right? And, uh, and it's insane how well it converts, in, like in practice. I definitely agree that the pattern, like the larger the pattern is, the larger the time frame is for any, you know, candlestick signal or, or any like momentum signal, as much as I am a momentum trader, it does get a lot of value, much more value on high time frames, right? Because it re truly represents the trend, the actual trend, the actual directional movement, right? In some certain direction for, uh, for the price, how it changes, how it shapes. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like funny that people, <laughs> people who don't really understand technical analysis or they don't really understand like statistics, mathematics, well, they tend to, these are the first ones to come to tell you that technical analysis doesn't work, right? But they don't simply don't understand that. But it doesn't, it does not mean that it doesn't work. Uh, you, that's such a great point, you know, like, um, like uh, take an ascending triangle continuation pattern, right? It's like, it's like uh, pocket aces versus pocket twos. Like you're probably going to win, but sometimes you lose. And, and just to, to kind of piggyback off your point before, the, the chart works because we think it works and it represents the psychology of the market. Uh, but it's also the chart right now is reporting what has already happened. All those things have already happened. Uh, and, and what has already happened is, is uh, demand levels have been established, right? Well, people say they want to buy it and people see a, a rising demand level. So that tells you something. So there's things you can, you can gleam. If you say it doesn't work, it's because you want it to, to, um, to run the trade for you. And that's not how it is. Or you are a dupe and don't know simply TA. <laughs> that's also an option. Yeah. Guys, this has been fantastic. I wish that we had, uh, the rest of the day to carry on with this, but, um, uh, Chad's, we're, we're simply going to need to have you on for another round. This has been too good, man. Cool. Guys, as we wrap up uh, and we are akin to do, I would love to give you each uh, the opportunity to share any final thoughts with our listeners. So, Chad's, let's start with you. Is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners ruminating on or thinking about as we, uh, as we wrap things up? Uh, I'm just glad I'm here. It was, it was a wonderful uh, conversation. I enjoy, you know, on Twitter – um, we were talking about this earlier. It's, you don't just with words, it's hard to really get a sense of who you're talking to. Um, so, uh, long form communication is good. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I appreciate the platform. Uh, I would say, uh, definitely check me out on Twitter at big cheds. If you're just getting started, I, I wrote, uh, the complete beginner's guide to cryptocurrency trading, uh, on chedstrading.blogspot.com. I actually wrote it when I was going through chemotherapy. Uh, I talk about that a lot in my, in my book. If you're interested, it's on my Twitter account, my, my pinned tweet. Um, I am a founding analyst and I'm very proud to be part of Bitcoin Live, uh, best in class educational platform for crypto and encourage you to take a look at that. And um, beyond that, I, I hope you've, uh, if you're listening, I hope, I hope you've um, gotten some value out of this conversation. I know I have. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk again soon. Right on. And uh, on behalf of our listeners, I just want to say we all have uh, gotten some deep value out of listening to this. Adrian, what about you, brother? What would you like yeah, to leave I mean, our listeners? So again, thank, thanks on my behalf as well for, you know, like all the appreciation goes to to Chats for, for sharing all his, you know, inputs and insights. That's, that's been great. And, uh, and definitely congratulations on all your, you know, ventures going on, as well as the press assistance itself, because as we 
kind of like refer and circle back to the very beginning of this podcast. Luck is nothing if you don't really help it. Luck only can actually be called luck only after you've helped it enough to be luck. You, may, you need to make, it, make the luck work for you. That's what I definitely want uh, to, uh, to kind of like wrap up with. And uh, it means that nothing comes without an effort, right? And everything, and every, everything kind of like every door, we kind of like get locked or not actually not, not locked, but unlocked uh, to you if, you if you actually do some work, perform some effort, you know, just do some homework assignments, go and improve some knowledge, just as, just like, you know, Chet's, like, despite his, his big killing it with regard to, you know, already uh, technical analysis knowledge. Well, I pretty much appreciate everybody and respect everybody who keeps going who just keeps going and striving to be a better version of, of, your, of yourself, of themselves. And that's what makes you a successful person. And uh, the success is kind of like universal, you know? When you find such a formula to do your best every day, to try your best to, to, to be a better person, to improve your knowledge, to improve whatever you're dealing with, okay? Day by day, day in, day out. Uh, well, the success comes to you and you can do nothing about it. And uh, if it comes to trading, that works the same. Amen. Right on. How can I add anything to, to what's already been said? Adrian, Chad, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Listeners, thank you all for joining us as always. Everybody out there, stay calm, stay focused, get better where you can, and we will all make it through this thing. Thanks so much for joining The Nest Show. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining this episode of The Nest Show. We invite you to connect with our guest on Twitter, where Adrian can be reached at CryptoBurb. I am at Benjamin T1717 and Cheds is at Big Cheds. Cheds work can also be reached at Bitcoin Live, link below, and chedstrading.blogspot.com. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at theburbnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us at theburbnest.com/slash Discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth expert technical and fundamental analysis at theburbnest.com slash bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestshow at theburbnest.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Burb Nest. Thank you and trade on. Mm-hmm.